Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A reading from the sainted Dr. Martin Luther from the Large Catechism concerning the third article of the Creed about the Holy Spirit. He writes, For neither you nor I could ever know anything of Christ or believe on him and obtain him for our Lord unless it were offered to us and granted to our hearts by the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the gospel. The work is done and accomplished, for Christ has acquired and gained the treasure for us by his suffering, death, and resurrection. But if the work remained concealed so that no one knew of it, then it would be in vain and lost. That this treasure, therefore, might not lie buried, but be appropriated and enjoyed, God has caused the word to go forth and be proclaimed, in which he gives the Holy Ghost to bring this treasure home and appropriate it to us. Therefore, sanctifying is nothing else than bringing us to Christ to receive this good to which we could not attain of ourselves. You heard it read for you in the gospel according to St. John that there was this man, John the Baptist, who had a group of people that followed him and they were called John's disciples. They listened to John. They were paying attention to his teachings for he was sent from God the Father to prepare the way for the Son. And the Son, that is Jesus, just so happened to be John's cousin. Not too much older, if you remember. He's only six months older than Jesus. For when Mary found out that she had conceived a child by the power of the Holy Spirit, she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth and delivered that news. There she delivered that she was pregnant with the one who would be the deliverer of Israel. And in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist leaped for joy at that blessed word, the greeting that she had shared with Elizabeth from the angel Gabriel. And it was great and wonderful news. And John's life was going to be very special. He was set apart, not to really have fame or glory or reputation. Goodness, he didn't even have fine clothes, right? Camel's hair. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild honey. Nobody really came out to see him until it was his time to make ready the way of the Lord to humble the high mountains and bring them down, to raise up the lowly and poor valleys, to make even and straight the way of the Lord by preaching repentance to the forgiveness of sins. And he baptized in the Jordan River. But it was not him that he was proclaiming. He was not preaching about himself or his own works. He said, I am not worthy to even untie the sandals the straps of the sandals of the one who is coming after me. John's ministry, his whole entire life, was really lived up for about six months of ministry. Could you imagine that? Having your whole entire life set apart, not having good food or strong drink or fine clothes, and then have six months 
just about, in which God uses you to make straight the way for Christ. That's it. But while it might not rise up to our standards of what a fulfilling career might be or a renowned person in this world, every word that John the Baptist speaks should have greater weight for us, considering that he spoke very few that are recorded in the scriptures. So today, when you're hearing this gospel text, and you hear that when John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looks at Jesus as he is walking by, when John stops everything that he was doing, stops his disciples and says, Behold the Lamb of God, it means something. Those few words were important because his disciples did not see what John saw. They did not have the eyes of faith yet to behold the one whom God the Father had sent to redeem the world. They had not yet heard who the Christ was to where they should direct their eyes and their heart and their mind and their whole life and devotion. But John the Baptist stops them and says, look, stop, this is he. And they look over there and who do they see? Man in fine purple linen and white cloth and riding on this magnificent beast? No. They see the lowly, despised, rejected, and poor Jesus who is a relative of this Crazy guy that spent his life out in the wilderness and ate locusts and wild honey. That's why they had to be told. Otherwise, they would not have seen. They could not have known. They could not have received the Christ unless it had been revealed to them through the power of the Holy Spirit in the messenger of John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God. And what great significance that is, because the Lamb of God meant something to them. The unblemished Lamb was where they placed their sins, the sins of the whole people of Israel, and that Lamb was slaughtered for them. So that God did not see their sins, but he saw the blood that covered them all. And here, John identifies the Lamb, not just a Lamb or any Lamb, but the Lamb of the Father. For the propitiation of the sins of the people in this man, Jesus Christ. And they receive the word. They don't doubt John's words. They go after Jesus. They start immediately following Jesus, leaving John behind. They, they go to, to find Jesus and wherever he's going, he looks at them and he says, what are you seeking? And what do they call him? They call him rabbi for a reason. They wanted understanding. Why did John call you the Lamb of God? Why are you here? What are you doing? How do we know to believe in you as the Christ, the Messiah? They were willing to stay with him. They weren't going to let him go. They were going to find out where he was staying, and then they were going to sit with him for as long as he would talk to them. For as long as he would fill them up with the scriptures, they were going to stand by him. They were going to sleep next to him. They were going to wake with him in the morning 
so that they would always have him near. That's the devotion. But now this treasure was so good. Andrew couldn't contain it. He's this evangelist. This is the day that we celebrate the feast of St. Andrew. Because once he knew what he possessed, the knowledge of who the Savior was, where to find him, he could not help but go and find the next closest person to him, his flesh and blood brother, Simon. He says, I found the Messiah. We know where he's at. Come and see with me. Because he was so excited. Could Simon Peter have obtained that knowledge on his own? No. He needed to hear it. Somebody needed to share it with him. And God be praised it was his own brother. And how special a connection that is. When you bring one of your own family members to the feet of Christ and say, Look, here he is. Here is the treasure that had been hidden for the ages, now revealed to us. All truth, all light, all glory, all forgiveness, all salvation. Here, right here with Jesus. But I tell you that it's often difficult for us to do that. To go to our own family members, to to bring to them this. We want to do it with gentleness and kindness, with hope that they'll hear and believe. But we have no control over that. We have no control whether or not they will receive it with joy and rejoice with us and go to see Jesus in the church. But we're also afraid of rejection. Those words... Or just that word, no, I don't want to go. It pierces us deeply because it's almost embarrassing to be rejected, to be told that it's not worth going with you. And so we become like a recluse. We we pull into ourselves and we don't share the treasure that we know it's so important. We have to really believe this. And and this is a sincere doctrine of the church. That if you do not have Christ, you go to hell. You have to believe that. Because if you're not believing that wholeheartedly, then I guarantee you, you're not going to talk or speak or share the treasure of the gospel. And what is it that our neighbor thinks of us? If they have heard us say, they know that we believe that without Christ, they're going to hell. And they hear us never speak about it. What do you think they think of us? Of our faith? That we're not trying to convey the gospel to them. As weak and feeble as our efforts may be, they would still be the effort. You know, there is these heresies that go around. One of them is one I'm sure you've heard before. Preach the gospel. Use words if you have to. That's hogwash. It's baloney. It's not true. You cannot share the gospel with works. Works are works. Good and righteous as they may be, they are not the gospel. 
Your works cannot save. Only the word of Christ saves. So as good as we may be and as kind and loving to our neighbors and our family as we may be, those do not amount to the gospel. They are, as the hymn Salvation Unto Us has come, says so nicely that these works prove that faith is living. But what is that faith in? It's faith in Christ who has come to save us. And that has to be preached. Like John preached to Andrew and the other disciple. Like Andrew preached to Simon Peter. Like Simon Peter preached to the whole crowds gathered at Pentecost. And so on and so forth. Until the gospel has reached this very place today. It did not come by works. It came by word. You may have also heard it said by many Baptists. That the Holy Spirit just works without means, without the word, without the sacrament. He just kind of zaps you and you have faith suddenly. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And it's important to know that. Because what is the assurance of faith if not the very word of God? If the assurance of faith is my decision to accept Christ into my life, then I will be the greatest doubter of that decision in my life. I will always question until the day I die whether or not I truly believed. And I will constantly keep looking inward at my own experience, at my own works, to try and see whether or not I am actually justified and I have a chance, just a chance, to get into heaven. What was the assurance of faith for Andrew? It was those words which John the Baptist gave him, that this is the Lamb of God. What was the assurance of faith for Simon Peter? It was not Andrew's works, but he said, we have found the Messiah. And then he went and learned and sat at the feet of Jesus and studied the word of God that he spoke and said, is this the truth? They tested it. And what they found was that everything that Jesus spoke about the scriptures was true. Everything he prophesied was true. Every miracle that he did signified that he was the son of God, the Messiah. It's so important for us that we do not stake our own faith on our works or Encourage another to do the same. But that when we share the gospel with them, we don't do anything fancy. There's no need. It is the Holy Spirit at work through the word. And when the Holy Spirit has promised to work through the word, we believe it. And we leave it to God's hands to convert the sinful soul. To believe in the Son of God. And when we invite them to church, don't be worried about what they see. Was Andrew worried about what he would see, what Simon would see when he looked at Jesus? Does it record anything that Andrew prepared Simon? Simon, you got to understand, this man doesn't look like much. And he's a relative of that John the Baptist guy. But trust me, it's okay. He didn't do any of that. 
When you invite somebody to church, they're not going to see a baptismal font filled with glowing water. It'd be radioactive. You're not going to see anybody but a simple guy in a robe up here preaching the word and forgiving sins. That's not incredibly special. They're going to see a cup up here. Yeah, it's silver and it has regular wine in it. And they have a piece of bread that's stamped out in a circle. Nothing too incredible about that. But what makes all of these things extra special is that every single one of them has the promise of God attached to it. That's what makes it special. That's what sets it apart. That's what makes them holy things. So just as Simon Peter beheld the Son of God, that man that stood before him, Jesus the Messiah, had the promise of God that he was the anointed one whom at his baptism, the heavens opened up and God declared from the heavens, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He was their rabbi, their teacher, but he was the anointed one of the Lord sent to save them from their sins. So we confess together because we're not perfect. That we have let these things get in the way of us bringing someone to Christ to come and see. We confess that we have let ourselves be silenced by our own embarrassment of rejection or for rejection. But yet we remember that we are not above our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who was rejected by everyone. Even before his crucifixion, his own disciples, when he was struck, it said the sheep fled and he was left alone. You get it? We have the treasure revealed to us, not because we deserve it, not because even once possessing it, we have not squandered the treasure, but we have it because the Holy Spirit desires to keep us sanctified and holy and in the faith. And so the Holy Spirit daily and richly forgives us all our sins. We have this treasure because God desires us to be saved. And so he continues until the day he returns to send forth this message of the gospel, the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ into every corner of the earth. And so it shall be. In Jesus' name we say, Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.